All right, welcome to Breaking Free Podcast, a body, mind, spirit approach to mental health. I'm your host, Summer Seitz. And today I have a guest, Dora Jamadi, with me from Spirit Power Yoga. She's also um, my personal yoga studio teacher, and I'm so excited to have her here today. Thanks for being here, Dora. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we're going to talk a little bit about all things awareness and mindfulness today. It's a big topic. Dora and I have discovered um, we just like to introduce it to you a little bit and um, kind of just give you a breath as why why do people go to yoga studios? Why do they practice mindfulness? Like, why do they think it's a valuable uh, tool in their life to help them with living life better, right? Just having quality life. Because I think, you know, you see people in a yoga room, they're moving around, they're doing these interesting postures and breath. And I think for those people that haven't practiced that, they wonder why, you know, what is it that that brings to the table? Um, and those of you who are yogis, I still think we'll have something here for you, right? To go a little deeper into, you know, maybe how Dora um, conceptualizes it. How long have you been teaching yoga, Dora? Just give us a little bit of your background. I stopped counting. <laughs> I mean, now it's like 18 years, but I've been yeah. in this industry for so long and I, I've seen it changed yeah. uh, uh, through the years. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I really loved, I, I waited just so, you know, I kind of waited. I, I think as a teacher of uh, mindfulness practices professionally, I waited because I knew I wanted to do a yoga teacher training. And that's the piece too. I, I finished the 200 hour um, training with Dora this last year and I was waiting for the right program. And I would love to give a shout out to Dora's because it really was a quality program. And I've seen a lot of them out there and I liked that, you know, all of them have some similar elements in order to be certified, but I think Dora took it kind of above and beyond and like really helped me see it as a, um, really a life practice versus just something that I was doing to, you know, get a certification and check that box. And then now I can teach yoga. It really became more of a self-exploration. Um, and it really did help me grow and expand, which is really what this podcast has all been about. It's been about that growth journey. So thank you so much for that journey. It wasn't an easy one, like all growth journeys are. Well, thank you so much. And, you know, that's why it's my training is titled uh, Yoga and Mindfulness Training. And I mm -hmm. really do. I mean, you guys, over the 10 months, you read eight books and we go deep into the philosophy and history and spirituality of yoga. Um, yeah. But that is exactly my goal, because though I love to teach a very athletic yoga class, and I think we do need uh, physical motion in our life, especially since most of us have uh, you know, sanitary lifestyles with seated jobs. But um, the one change that I've seen over these 20 years is that um, as yoga became more and more, you know, owned by franchises, it lost more the essence which was this holistic nature it became reduced to nothing but a workout and poses so I in my training I, I really try to bring back this aspect of it and I developed a methodology called m3b which is mindful movement and meditation and breathing um, and that's to emphasize that um we need these three pillars in our life. We need motion that is mindful motion, not just, you know, working out yeah. till you drop dead, <laughs> but mindful motion, um, meditation, which is the pillar of the intellect and knowledge. And then breath to me also symbolizes spirituality and the need for transcendence. Mm. And in an ideal yoga class, you have all three. So you have truly a holistic experience. I'm almost feeling the title of this today already, Dora. I said we just find it, but it feels like kind of like yoga is life, right? Yoga yeah. is life. And I do think that um, remind us, I mean, I'm going to pretend like you guys are a student in the class because I remember some of these lessons from Dora, what yoga means. Because I really love the definition of yoga. Like, where does that come from? Like, where does this title, like, what does it mean, yoga? It literally I means to yoke, to unite. And it's the yoke that they put on as a harness for mm -hmm. the horses to pull the carriage. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, that is a process that has discipline and a little bit of discomfort to it. 
In mm. order for that horse and carriage to move in a fluid way, there is training, there is a little bit of discomfort, and there's correction in place before it starts gliding. Um, so in yoga, you're yoking to that, together the body, the intellect, and, and the spiritual um, awareness. And, mm -hmm. you know, at all times during life, even right now for me, there's always just something that's not quite, let's just say, ideal, right? I notice that I need a little correction in this regard in my life. And then I yoke myself back in using a little bit of discipline. Uh, and I know that I'm on the right, right path when I, I feel that sense of lightness, right? Things are moving more fluidly again. Yeah. And I mean, I think I, one of the things, like I'm a heart math practitioner and we always talk about heart mind coherence, right? So we're trying to kind of get the heart and the mind working in, as one in that space. So, and I've taught that here. So I think that makes sense to me, this idea that we're trying to uh, body, mind, spirit, bring these parts together as one whole moving thing, which I would think there's always like some part that's lagging, right. Or distracted over here. Right. Yeah. yeah. Squirrel. Right. That seems to yeah. be. And I do find that. And one thing I love about yoga is that you're in the room and you're just aware of where your distractions are. It kind of shows them to you in the moment. Yes. yes. And you mentioned the heart and, you know, to me, mm -hmm. metaphorically, breath, heart and spirit is the same thing. So mm -hmm. that's why yoga is so different than just a workout. And I think that's why yoga is completely lost. If you're taking yoga while they're blasting hip hop music or rock and roll or whatever is your genre, right? But if you have a lot of distractive music, you can't focus on the breath. You don't hear your breath. And if you think about it, if when your mind and your intellect is a, noticing the quality of the breath, then you notice when you're shallow breathing and we tend to shallow breathe when either we're preoccupied so we're not really present with what we're doing or when we're depressed or sad or grieving something right the breath becomes kind of collapsed and shallow and then the opposite of that is just the too rajistic the person who is just going all like all out right and then they're holding their breath or they're overventilating. and if 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 you pay attention to your breath the breath is is like the the mirror to your soul, the mirror to your heart. And, and you know that you found the right amount of asana practice, posture practice, when the breath becomes this beautiful, not forced, but gentle, powerful rhythm within your body that mimics the heart rhythm when it's, when it's happy and joyful and, and, and feels full of spirit. Yeah, I think if the listeners, even if they just wanted to just one small thing to improve the quality of their life or help with nervous system regulation, just starting to pay attention to and consciously breathe in and of itself is a very powerful practice. I think most of us don't pay any attention to our breath in a given day. And I think that's what's so nice about yoga is it gives you this whole hour to practice something that you're hoping to translate into your everyday life, right? Like you're walking around and you're in the grocery store and you're like, I'm not breathing, you know, or I just, while you were talking there, I was like, Oh, how's my breath? I don't think I've actually checked in while well, we're doing mindfulness today. Perhaps I should be aware where my exactly. breath is, right? And so I think that um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting fact that our breath doesn't lie, doesn't ever lie. And, um, and that's a good moment to also say that, you know, some of us, when we're learning yoga or mindfulness, what the only thing that you're learning from your teacher is this quote unquote technique or how to breathe. So you have a bunch of logical instructions on how you breathe. And to a certain degree, that's necessary. And it's useful because you learn kind of how to pay attention to the breath. But the problem is, is that that's not awareness and that's not mindfulness and that's not soul spirituality or heart space because it's very easy to turn that instruction into just another thing that now you mindlessly rigidly and in a sense of expectation following yeah it can be so, a new perfectionism checkpoint can it exactly exactly yeah. so so it's really that's that's why the pillar of the three mind body spirit is important to hold together because it's so easy to always just be dragged into logic and technique. 
Mm. Well, that's actually a great entry point to one of the things we're going to chat about. Um, you know, what is awareness to you, right? Like is awareness, mindfulness often used interchangeably. And I really think that even our, our whole yoga group, how many were there at us? Like 30, something like that. Yeah. I think if we asked each one of them what awareness was, and we've done this in class, we'd get a different answer for every person because it's kind of like saying, what is love? You know, <laughs> what is faith? But I still would love to hear um, what my awareness is or mindfulness is for you. So I'm going to give you uh, one technical definition, one mm -hmm. metaphorical definition, and then one useful definition. Perfect. Perfect. So the technical <laughs> definition of mindfulness is the mindfulness is the recognition of the moment when you're not mindful. Mm, okay. And when you're practicing more and more mindfulness, you're actually increasing your ability to bear discomfort. So it is not an alleviation of the sensory discomfort, that that sort of stuff leads to addiction. That's what alcohol does, that, that chronic shopping addiction does that, right? I don't wanna feel it, so I do this and that and that. I eat the cookie and blah, blah, blah. We all do that. Sometimes we even do yoga like that. I don't wanna feel it, so I'll just take the yoga class, right? Mm -hmm. We can corrupt, the human being can corrupt anything. So again, mindfulness is about feeling more, so with the practice of mindfulness, you increase your ability to bear the discomfort. Interestingly, over time, at first, this makes you feel a little bit worse, but over time, because you also have to apply the heart space and the self-soothing, you do feel better. But it, it's a little bit of a, you know, first worse than better curve. And it's a do dosage-related uh, phenomena. So the more often... And the longer you do it, the better it gets. This is not an instant gratification thing. You cannot just do it a little bit or you cannot just have intellectual knowledge of it and work. So that's kind of the intellectual knowledge of mindfulness, right? Now yeah. I give you metaphorical, which puts you a little bit more into the whole gestalt, the whole picture that when you feel it more instead of know it. Mindfulness is the moment when you notice that you're not mindful. Therefore, imagine that you're a fish swimming in a water. Mm. You're surrounded by water. That, and the water is uh, your metaphorical thoughts. And you're swimming in your thoughts. And all of a sudden, you get this mindful moment. And it allows you to jump out of the water and look down and notice that who you are is not your thoughts. Thoughts and emotions are simply flowing through you. You can look at everything, the past, the future, the present, the thoughts and everything else that makes that present moment because the present moment also has emotional residues from the past, right? So it's, it's awareness is a bigger, bigger box. It's all of that. It's the, it's the thoughts of the water that you live in and you look from above and you're like, oh, I have a little space from it. I can just observe it and not be attached to it. And that that little space makes all the difference because it allows for correction. And then, of course, you cannot exist constantly like that and you fall right back in the water. And you, you go can't swim out of water, right? Yeah. yeah and then <laughs> you go back into this unhealthy um, identification with the thoughts and emotions. But hopefully, again, the more you practice mindfulness, the more it becomes natural to, to kind of jump and take a moment. And that's where breath practice helps because when you, you know, lift out of your thoughts, you take a deep breath and it allows you to kind of self-regulate and calm and observe everything better. Yeah. And respond from a space of awareness versus reaction to. Exactly. Yeah. And Which so I think this is how most people do it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Most of the time we're just reacting to our circumstances. And then this is the pillar that it takes us to, you know, the eight limbs of yoga and why it's important to keep yoga with the philosophy, because we really don't know, like you said beautifully, we don't know what love is. So we don't really know what not mindful is unless we study the philosophy of it. 
and through the yamas and the niyamas of yoga, which is well, can you tell us a little bit more in case I don't know what I know okay. what the eight limbs are and you know, but where does this come from? Like, where does one find these eight limbs of yoga? Okay. So um, yoga was first a philosophy when okay. 3000 years ago, actually even more uh, when yoga was first established, um, it, it was more spiritual, spiritual scripture, much like the Bible. Yeah. And, and certain parables and certain ways of life to follow, just like Jesus has follow me. Yoga has the same concept within these Vedic writings of follow me and follow the right path. And the certain ways of ethical beings and principles get distilled out of this. Yeah. And, and then it's a good way of observing the life, right? Observing our life. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah. as the, uh, uh, asana the posture practice got built on top of this the posture practice simply is an opportunity to, for you to self-examine what comes up for you when you put your body and your breath into this situation and you examine it through the eight limbs mm-hmm. which is very similar to the christian ten commandments right um so it's um are you judging yourself are you uh creating harm um, are you comparing yourself in a, a harmful way? Um, are you coveting something, right? And when you notice that you're doing something that is not love, that is you covet, you judge, you compare and so forth, then you can take a break, take a breath and and come to a better action. And that is really the pillars of yoga. So mindfulness is very much, built into this philosophy of how do I correct my thoughts and my actions so that I can yoke myself to be more peaceful and loving in the future. I love that because if you ask me after, you know, the journey, and it, it's probably changed five times even in the last week, what I think awareness is because it's always evolving. But, um, you know, I would think of it yoking, getting my mind more and more from the perspective of love. And like you said, you don't always know what love is other than to know what isn't loving, right? I think that's how we figure out how to be loving is, oh, I, that wasn't loving. That felt like it harmed someone or that felt like it created more distance between me and other humans. And I think that's just how we learn. We learn from what isn't versus what is um, because I like we live in this water. Like we don't know. That's the thing. We don't know. Until we yeah. have a moment that kind of goes, oh, um, unfortunately, and unfortunately, I think, I mean, I think the pain body, that's one thing that you kind of feel, right? This, the pain that we feel when we're not in alignment with love, peace, these types of energies. It's, I think the body's so wise to let us be able to feel that so we can know. And I think that we get very dissociated from that. At least that's what I see with my clients. There's, there, you see, sometimes when you see, you know, uh, people with trauma, lots of trauma, I'll ask them to kind of connect from their neck down. And they got nothing. They're like, this is a big nebulous space. Like literally there's no awareness of their neck down. There'll be whole parts of body that they don't actually have any awareness of. Um, So like with trauma-informed yoga, part of it is just allowing people to get reconnected to these spaces where um, there's just so much disconnection. Um, They're not embodied, right? We become kind of disembodied to deal with our pain. So a very practical place, yoga is doing a lot. And in order to heal, you must feel, right? In order to heal, you must feel. And that's why these three pillars are beautiful, because at first, the hardest thing to feel is our emotions and to truly understand our emotions. Um, But it's easier to start feeling the physical body moving, right? It's easier to just kind of tap into something that's more benign and approachable. And then you start feeling this is tension, this is my heart beating faster and so forth. And then over time, uh, the student becomes more comfortable to examine when things that are more triggering come up, like fear, jealousy, envy, uh, anger, and so forth. Because especially with, there's no such a thing as good or bad emotion. They all serve a purpose, right? And they can all be used the wrong way as well. Um But what happens with most, um, I would say, a large segment of our population right now for Chendli is um, we self-censor for so long, Mm -hmm. 
with this idea that I should not feel this way, or this is bad, you know, like anger is bad, jealousy is bad, envy is bad. And we subconsciously uh, don't admit to ourselves when we have those emotions. And that is the most harmful state, because at that point, triggers come in. And because you don't understand, you're not mindful, you're not aware, you actually don't see what is inside you, you come to the wrong conclusion. And oftentimes it comes back as blame and it comes back uh, it in, in some ways that is not constructive. So you touched on this so well, um, Summer, you said that it's important to start feeling and allow our body to give us feedback. That's step one. And then as our yoga progresses and as we heal from trauma as well, it's very important to also be able to jump out of the water as a fishy, look down and see the big picture. Because sometimes our immediate discomfort is actually not a bad thing. It's something that we must stick with and go through in order to heal. Mm -hmm. So if we always avoid discomfort, and that is the hardest thing to teach. I don't know how you manage how you manage this. Can I give an example, maybe? Like maybe yeah. people here listening. So I have, you know, I've been in this train with Dora as well. And we've I, I also teach we need to feel to heal. So over the weekend I had a, a moment where, you know, just every day my sink broke, you know, life happened. There was just a lot of chaos. And I'm driving around in the car, just taking my kid to their next event. So this is where a lot of people can relate. And I started to feel a lot of pain in my body. Like I started to feel this really just like anger, irritation. And, you know, after my first thing was, I don't got time for this, right? Like shove that back down. I don't want to. But I think because of our learning, right? Because of this kind of mindfulness work that we've done in yoga class, I thought, no, no, I'm in a car. And this is, this is yoga, right? Life is yoga, right? That's the point, right? So yoga can be on a mat or yoga can be driving around in your car. <laughs> um, but what I did is just, stay with the emotion and said, okay, because you can give the mind a canvas. What is this? What is this coming up for me? And then all of a sudden I just kept getting this memory popping in my mind from like a 27 year old version of me. I won't go too much into what that was, but this 27 year old version of me, whatever was happening in the present moment was connected to that experience. And it was just reminding me. So then I go, okay, I can avoid it even more because I know this is big. But because I do this work, I set a time aside. I had to wait till the next morning, but I set some time aside, got in my yogic kind of breath work, spent some time with it. And then I just said, okay, show me, show me what this is, show me. And I just let myself really connect to this space, this heart space and show it. And there was just a whole bunch of emotions that came up. Because um, again, yoga is a lot of things, right? Uh, you can be moving it out. Sometimes it's a need to do something. For me, there was some hugging. There was some, this girl had some stuff she needed to have felt, right? And so I felt with her. I did those things. I did some journaling on it, right? So that I was able to eventually get to the end, which was these were emotions that weren't expressed. Now you need to express them. Because it was, it because they get stored in our bodies, right? These old emotions, these old things. Um, so then now I could go, okay, and then move it through, right? We have to have ways to move things through. And that's one of the things that yoga can really do is like, as you're aware, and it may be even be painfully aware, right? I was very painfully aware. I had two choices, right? I could shut it back down and avoid it and use addictions and other things to numb it out. Or I could just really allow the space to feel it. And I think it's nice to have tools like yoga, breath. They can be freeform things like dance, walking in the woods, right? Just things that you're doing mindfully to say, I'm going to just really be with this and let it tell its story and then still recognize it's a story because that was a big piece for me. Like this is an old story. It's not happening now, but it's showing me something. And yeah. that's kind of the type of work that we do in healing work, right? As we like follow the story, hopefully to unravel it and figure out how to release it now from our bodies and yeah. minds. And the more you feel, uh, the better you get at, at differentiating it. And then what's hard is, you know, there are some feelings like when you're doing a yoga practice, like, oh, that's a sharp pain. That's my body telling me that I'm about to pull that muscle. So that's something I need to respond to and pull back. But then what happens often is that people confuse physical pain with emotional pain. And they pull back the same way from emotional pain where versus actually 
getting curious about emotional pain and being with it because emotional pain can only be uh, released through an understanding and moving in versus if you avoid it, it will always stay. Um, so I have a, a couple of like super easy ways that I, I during my mindfulness classes, and I yeah, have this for sure. 40 days um, that I teach every January, which is just a Zoom class, um, um, lectures on mindfulness. Um, and one thing that I share with my students is that how do I know when my feeling or my behavior is not constructive, right? Like I need to basically pause. And I would say if you if you're isolating yourself, right? If you're pretending, if you're passive aggressive, right? Like kind of sarcastic, passive aggressive, or this is a popular one, overly pleasing, right? Overly pleasing, like you're just trying to cover something up by being very nice. Um, when we're critical of that improvement, because some criticism is needed, right? But sometimes we're just self-critical in order to beat ourselves down. So that's also a, a space of you need to pause. When we're judgmental in a way that creates harm, because judgment is also needed, you know, right judgment to know, you know, I will only cross the street when the light is green. That's a judgment as well, right? But sometimes then we judge and, and, um, and create a lot of harm through that as well. Um, when our actions are not productive or your thoughts are not productive, if you had the same worrying thoughts four times and you're not doing something about it, that's not productive, right? Um, and most importantly, when we have an associations of our um, emotional state, and our identity, when we think how we feel, what we think is permanent, mm. right? Like I am sad. It's like, no, you're not sad. You're just right now. Sadness is going through you. So these are what I would call like, okay, you need to really examine where this is coming from. And then on the other side of it, you know, that you're yolking. Well, you're, you're, you're on the right path when your behavior is honest and transparent when you have a clear view of your goal and your own personal value as a human when you're able to accept all emotions right like you don't really have to push anything away if if i'm currently sad that's okay like that's part of life right mm -hmm. um when we're able to be productive despite knowing our emotions right a lot of the times um what your story was perfect for this summer, you know, you're driving and then all these emotions are coming up and you had the choice to push it away. I or... made an appointment with it, right? That's exactly. one of the ways I was made productive. an appointment. Yeah, I made it. I it said, was... I'll do it tonight or tomorrow. That's one, exactly. one of my tools. I made an appointment with it. Yeah, exactly. So you make an appointment with it. So you are able mm -hmm. to be productive despite knowing it. You don't have to forever ban that emotion. Yeah. Um, and then when you start seeing your emotions as your and your thoughts and your opinions as just temporary, it's mm -hmm. not part of the essential part of the I. So these are just my short, easy guidelines for students. Yeah, and this was a nine, that particular, I took that class with her. Well, we, we enter it the whole nine months, but the, the 90 days, you know, it's over, we do it over how many 40 weeks? 40 days. 40 days. Yeah, nine days is a little, a little bit longer. Um, yeah. But yes, those those classes were in depth. And I, what I loved is that you gave us really neat uh, ways to practice everyday mindfulness, because that's the thing about awareness practices is you can't go, OK, I'm going to be aware now. I decided yeah. today, you know, it's kind of like I would like to be more flexible. Well, that means you get to stretch every day, right, to become more flexible because it's a skill set. And that's the same thing with I would always teach this to my clients in my office. I was like, okay, you want to be able to emotionally regulate. Well, we need to emotionally regulate even when things aren't triggering us, right? So that when the triggers yeah. come, we already have the tools in place, right? We already have the pattern in our brain because otherwise the brain's going to go to whatever it's most using, right? Whatever is the most grooved out part of our brain is where we're going to go. 
And that's the whole part, the, that's the whole reason why um, mindfulness teachers teach breath meditation and how to do it. So it becomes natural. So when you are in an agitated state, you can recall it and soothe and jump out of the water and take a look at your thoughts and emotions and not run away. Breath meditation in itself doesn't fix your problem. As a matter of fact, it could be just another way to avoid emotions. I have a lot of yoga meditation students who basically use breath meditation like alcoholics use alcohol. You know, I don't want to feel this. I'm going to sit and just focus in on my breath. And then they push all emotion away. That's not the goal. That's not my self-harm. Yeah, yeah, there's no yoking because I think I, I think of it from the trauma perspective, right? We're bringing these two perspectives together. We still have to come back and make sense of things in our minds to have that full circle, right? We go into the body, we find the emotion, we're aware of it, you know, and then we make that reconnection. And usually we have to kind of reorder the narrative or change it, right? We need to change the story in order yeah, to yeah. have that full circle. But that takes someone owning their story feeling their story releasing their story and then retelling their story right there's a lot of pieces there um and the only way i find that we can actually get at those pieces is with an anchor of some sort right yeah. because we have these parts of ourselves that are very adaptive and they're actually helpful on some level because there was probably a time when people weren't able to feel those feelings safely right in their families or whatever i mean the truth is in the work i do with people and even my own work my own life there were times when it wouldn't have been a productive we'll use your word productive thing for me to sit down and cry and feel my feelings in my family of origin because there could have been shame or there could have been there could have been something that wasn't positive in that interaction right so kids learn people learn well, this doesn't work, this situation that doesn't work. So then they have a manager, they have some part of them that says, okay, we don't get to feel these things. Like that's dangerous, right? Yeah. So we have to work our way back through those types of old managers and say, is that still the case now? Is that how we want to live our lives now? Exactly. That Im emotional immaturity um, where when, when kids are not allowed to really grow up because their emotions are never acknowledged or uh, yeah. they're pushed away for some reason, um, there are other situations where that that becomes where where you, the person learns not to trust their own inner world, right? Yeah. And the problem true. is, is that at, then even if they see a relationship in a future where it would be a trusting and good relationship, and then in that situation, um, the other person sees their emotion their own internal world is so stuck on this old way of being that they actually get scared when they're once they're with someone who, who who can hold an emotionally mature relationship they push it away they first want it they first it's very attractive right but then they run away from it because it's it's a scary situation because they haven't learned to to make sense with what is going on inside if we don't learn that early on we need to relearn that later on in life. And it's not a, it, it's not that they're not wonderful. It's not that these people are somehow not whole and awesome individuals. It's just emotional intelligence is just like learning arithmetics and mathematics. You you gotta just make it until so it's many natural. of us. We I yeah. mean most of us, I mean, including my own children, I imagine, you know, they probably have a need of therapy fund, statistically speaking, right? Because because <laughs> We, we are all, we are all emotionally immature in certain ways. And yet we get to have children, right? There's no class yeah. for that. And so I would say that, uh, you know, most adults that I work with, I would say 50% or more had emotionally immature parents in some form or another. And then there's some growth work for that next generation. I think that's actually part of the thing that's beautiful about the next generation. It's like, we can say, okay, I can have compassion on the work that was done before me. I can have some like for instance, my family, I can see my mom having given so many gifts to me that weren't given to her, right? Like so many things that she tried to do for me. And then I also see things that you can't give that which you haven't received, right? So it's my job to go out in the world as an adult and not be the victim and say, okay, well, now I can go learn that skill. I can identify that. I can be aware of that, like, like you said, lacking of skill, right? Yeah, and then yeah. that's where you get to go to professionals like Dora. You get to go, okay, how do I learn how to be with my emotions? How do I learn how to be emotionally intelligent? 
And I think as an adult, that was one of the hardest things. I, there's grief in that too, right? Because I'd be like, other people just got to learn that normally. They had a thousand examples in their brain of this uh, emotional empathic interaction. And I'm like, I got nothing, you know? Like I look back in my mindset, I look back in my child, you know, my, and I go, there's fewer of them or there's not many. And so I think that's part of the growth work is acknowledging that and that's okay. Yeah. And, then, and you know, there might be anger associated with that or, yeah. or grief. You feel like you lost so much time. And, and those are all, and, and I think that's also important to cultivate is, and one thing in terminology that I really, really dislike from, from um, therapy work. And I read a lot of psychology journals and things like that is the word toxic. Mm. I dislike it when they use it as a label for people. There are no such thing as toxic people. Um, people go through trauma and emotional immaturity and a lack of an, an able to relate empathetically with each other comes out of self-protection due to a traumatic experience. Uh, to label these people as uh, toxic, I feel is harmful and is hateful and is judgmental. And it also creates further conflict between individuals because then one feels righteous, the other feels soiled. Um, so I think it's better to come from uh, a standpoint of spirituality. Oh, I am so sorry. Talk about moms. That was actually my mom. Hey, mom. <laughs> it's hey, mom. it's better it. to come from a standpoint of spirituality and just say, where's the suffering? Can yeah, I find grace and space? We're all both injured and injured. Exactly. And, yeah. and it doesn't mean that I have to take place in that. I have to recognize where that, that interaction might be harmful to me and find better ways to manage it. But I can still do that from love and from acceptance and, and nurturing towards the other person instead of this label of toxic. Um, so. So as I bring this all around, right, I think, so you can hear, hopefully all of you listening, you can hear the deep personal growth work that yoga and mindfulness have brought, I would say, probably Dora and I, I think it's allowed us both to uh, have the capacity for self-examination and something that I call mindsight, right? The ability to look at oneself and say, how am I contributing to my own suffering, right? I think so many people don't have the ability to look and say, how am I contributing both to collective suffering or my own suffering? Because if you can't be aware of something, you can't change it. Right. And I actually worry a lot more for people who can't self-observe because that means they can't break their cycles, right? They can't make things better for themselves. So when I see someone stuck in something and they're maybe they're harmful or hurtful others, I think I just feel for them because I'm like, at least I have the ability to take a step back and, yeah. and, and yeah. step or figure out how to interact differently. Right. Um, how did, uh, how does yoga, your practice of yoga bring this for you? Right. Because how did, how did yoga, and we kind of talked about it because in yamas and yamas, but maybe give me an example from your life of like how, you know, cause every day you go do yoga. I think you're a regular yogi, right? You're yeah, teaching yeah. it or doing it. How does going to a yoga class translate into that growth work for you? And so that's just happen all at once. Yeah. Um, and it, it took years for me to to get where I am now, and I'm pretty sure I'm still full of faults, and I'm I'm evolving. Yeah. Um, I think I was lucky to enter into yoga when it was um, not commercial yet. It was very much centered around the eight limbs of. Uh, the yogic thy shall, thy shall not, and breath. So even though I kept doing the asana work, I constantly heard um, corrections of way of life. Mm -hmm. And then I started reading a lot of books and, and, and it just started maturing, right? Uh, but it did start as a love of movement. And all of a sudden I... I had this, I can't describe it any other way. It was just pure joy where all of a sudden I feel like I was on the right path. Mm. Um, the movement. And I think a lot of, there's different types of 
movement practices. And I think one or the other kind of grab us, you know, I've had people yeah. say the same thing from Tai Chi. Um, I know people that feel this way about hiking, you know, I just need yeah. to be in the mountains that becomes their yoga. And what's beautiful about the concept of yoga is yoga is would say all of those things are yoga, right? There's the, there's the yeah. physical practice of yoga, but yoga is this observant yoking of body, mind, and spirit as you're participating in something that is your kind of yoga of that day, right? And it directs you towards a, a philosophy and studying philosophy versus, yes, you could do hiking and you could do walking yogically, but it doesn't necessarily come together in a package yeah with uh, a mindfulness philosophy that if you start feeling that something is interesting you, then you have just thousands of years of, um, of knowledge to dive back into. And by the way, this is the same knowledge that's also, um, you know, early church Jesus teaching. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can combine it with any theology or, or, or philosophy that is comfortable for your culture. Uh, but it somehow brings everything together. And then once you yoke these together, you start feeling um, how you're on your mat is how you're in real life, right? Mm -hmm. So you start feeling the mirror image of yourself and then um, how you're behaving with your family and with your loved one and so forth will start shifting as well. It's so true. I had a couple of weeks ago, I went to yoga at your studio and I went in really frustrated and not very, um, you know, just dysregulated, but not really aware of that. Just kind of, it's out of awareness. And the class happened to have a gratitude focus, but embodying gratitude throughout the entire, you know, this focus, this focal point of gratitude. And by the time I got to the end, it was like all of it had worked itself out and I had some perspective and I was like, oh, I'm actually grateful for the chaos in my life right now. I'm actually grateful yes. for how it is. It is what it is. And there was a sense of acceptance and all that really was, was an hour of yoga. So what was beautiful is I moved, I helped my body, I breathed, I regulated my nervous system and I had a spiritual awakening, right? In an hour. And that's pretty awesome, right? When you can say that. Now that doesn't happen every time I go to yoga class. Sometimes I come out of yoga class. I'm like, oh, I just feel a little more relaxed and stretched out. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. can be like that. But I think it depends on how you enter a yoga room, how you use the yoga room, how you leave a yoga room. And yeah. I really appreciate your perspective because I think you do use it as a, a spiritual practice. And I don't believe that all people do use the yoga room. Uh, to help us have greater yoking of the body, mind, and spirit. That's just been my my observation, Dora. So yeah, that's a very polite observation. Thank you for making that. <laughs> and, you know, and a closing, um, I think that might be a nice closing thought as, you know, how we start feeling gratitude in our life more spaciously. Um, it's just another easy tool that I, I gift you guys during my 40 days workshop is... Um, this idea of what is stress, right? And we do have just so much on our plate. Um, and um, I have these stress categories and I just offer you to turn one of the categories into a moment to be grateful. You know, the the chores, the, the chores that we do. And so often when we get home and we're tired and we're stressed out about other things in life, then the groceries and the dishes and the cooking becomes the thing that we get really angry about and bent out of shape. And how about if we would label those as our moments of gratitude? Because how wonderful it is that we have enough money to put food on a table and we have a roof over our head and we have clean clothes that you don't have to wash in the river till your knuckles bleed. Um, so this is just another easy way of like, watch how you're using your language because your language guides your life, right? So if you start labeling chores as negative and something that you're pushing away, just relabel it as well that's my gratitude meditation moment that's and one of the i love meta or any kind of 
uh, gratitude work that comes out of yoga practices. There's just, I mean, there's 3000 years of information. So if you think you know what yoga is from this conversation, you know, we just like didn't even scratch the surface, right? It's so yeah. deep and it's, it is a lifelong learning. I, and I wanted to emphasize one more thing too, for the people who are listening, uh, because maybe you don't have any familiarity with yoga, but you do have familiarity with your own spiritual practices. I think every one thing I learned so much in with you, when we got to kind of the origins of kind of all of the different paths is that there's always what I find if you go to the core essence of any anyone trying to create a narrative to describe the divine, right? They take this narrative and they're just words on words, practices that are trying to access something that's beyond words. If you go to the very core essence, they all start looking very much the same. Yes. Right? And I, when I looked at, um, you know, early, early Christianity, I saw, oh, it looks a lot like early yoga. It looks a lot like early, you know any of these early things before they get too dogmatic and too, I'm right, you're wrong. Let me injure and judge you. Right. Which is where things tend to go in our egos. If you go back to the earliest forms of something, if it's just about how to observe ourselves, how are we loving each other? How are we connecting as humans? Yeah. Um, it helps us have this harmony, this love, yeah. this connection. Religion and spirituality is beautiful. And sometimes the institution is good. And sometimes the institution is, turns God upside down. So, you know. Yeah, I think it depends on the intention, right? And uh, yeah. how it's being used. Like, just like yoga can be used for good and it can be used for, as you said, addiction, right? So it depends on how we're using these beautiful tools. But I think that's why it's important to have teachers and kind of find good spaces where you can have uh, people who have a similar intention. So if somebody wanted to connect with you, Dora, I know you have this um, this 90 days. Sorry, I keep saying 90 days. Maybe you didn't make it 90 days. You should days. write a longer one. You want a longer I mean 90 days, 40 days of, um, of practice where people can kind of do a dive with you. And this is online, so they can do it no matter where they're at in the country. Yep. And, and, and usually people are doing these things in January. And that's so wonderful that you wait a couple weeks into January, let the dust settle. And then your course begins. Um, but can you tell us a little bit more about that in case somebody wants to join you? Yeah, and um, I'll give you the link so you can put it in um, in um, the direct link. Uh, but it's basically seven lectures and once a week on Thursdays in the afternoon on 5.30. And you have the option, it's via Zoom, and you have the option to take it live. Um, but I also record it. And I don't record the conversations. The great thing about taking it live is I occasionally pause the recording and then allow for students to participate and ask questions. But uh, as far as my lectures go, I just record them and then I share it with the students for a week. So you can use it as review or if Thursday afternoon you had to work, then you can just listen to the recording and, and stay with it. There are a couple of books that we follow and I share with you just these simple things like what is stress is it good is it bad what are the things you can do how do you manage stress anxiety um how do you uh eat better what is nutrition how do you use your breath practice so just super simple tools but things that are actually um simple but not easy um and then we go into things like what is love and um, what it means in relationships. So it gets interesting and fun. It's all um, life stuff. It's all the things yeah. that's what I love about it. It's all the things that go into kind of creating a quality life. And the fact that you try to fit it all in 40 days is kind of impressive. Um, but she does a really good job of it. And most people take it year to year to year because I think yeah. it takes multiple learnings to really embody the practice. So it's okay yeah. if you just listen to it one year and then the next year you try to dive a little deeper. Sometimes we have to just take things where we are. And so for, I, I would suggest to people to don't feel intimidated if it feels too much, like it's okay to listen to something on the surface. I tell I had to do it last year because I had somebody in my family or my she's like family that was passing and there was just a lot going on. So I had to kind of do a little self-care and say, well, I'm not going to not do this, but I'm going to do it to the degree that I can. And that's better than not participating at all. Right. So I think that was part of that awareness I was using, but I'm excited to join it this year and now, you know, be hopefully in a different state, you know, January's a little way off still, but come, come in and say, yeah, okay, yeah. this year, I feel like I have more space to dive deeper and I have some, you know, a foundation to go deeper. And I think that's just how any yoga is. We just go yeah. eat ourselves where and, we're at. And, 
And it's true. It's a lot of information that that I, so it, it could easily be a 90 day workshop. But yes, it certainly yes. could. So you might, that was my tip apparently. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what I, I am so glad you talked about that summer because remember I said mindfulness is a dosage related phenomenon. And it's also something that, you know, say that one more time. Like, why I don't you it. write something else? Why don't you write more? Mm -hmm. And I say that because there isn't, you know, yeah. uh, uh, there are certain concepts that you need to get. And this idea that give me more, give me new something that I can market again, something that somebody will buy again. That's, that's our addictive mind. And mindfulness says no pause, just like spirituality says, you need to repeat this again and again and again. And every time you hear it, you're going to hear deeper layers about it. Um, but it's absolutely false to say that I could just give you mindfulness one, mindfulness two, mindfulness three. And every year you come back, it's like, no, that's that's just not even mindfulness. That's capitalism at its worst. <laughs> so, yeah. Agreed. And I, I actually like the idea of... Um going deeper on something there's something maybe the ego likes about well it's not going to be as novice this time and maybe i'll catch something different because i think the first time you listen to something um i mean you know it's like the first time you dance a dance like i used to dance like the first time you run through it you're like gosh i could barely catch even what those steps were and the second time maybe you can remember the choreo and the third and fourth time, maybe you can like let that go. And maybe eventually you can embody it and really be, be with it, right? Enjoy it and and, and really uh, like let it be part of you. But it takes a while to embody yeah. something. The mind needs to run it over many, 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 many times. We have to circle around things. So thanks yeah. so much for being here today. And then um, what's your contact information? So they can find you at uh, where they can find, where can they find you on Instagram and what's your website? uh my website i have two websites uh the yoga studio is spirapoweryoga.com okay. so s-p-i-r-a poweryoga.com um and then my website where i also give these presentation to corporations and um um and uh, agencies uh, is m3bmethod.com so I think I'm it's really that. valuable for teams to learn how to have awareness. That is a valuable, yeah. valuable tool. So especially yeah. people in human resources, this will be a good <laughs> option for you. Um, but you always finish your classes with, um, you know, thank you for giving me the gift of teaching. And I love that. And, um, and then namaste. And so I just kind of wanted to end with that concept, right? Thanks for giving um, literally me, the gift of teaching yoga, because I now can teach yoga, uh, at least at a level I've been, I, 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 you may not know this story, but I did teach a couple classes of yoga out there in the world with my own, uh, people Yay. and, uh, I hope to do more. And, um, I'm grateful that you keep giving the gift because it's, I know having been a, uh, public school teacher and also having taught in mental health for a very long time, it takes a lot of preparation and dedication to keep teaching. It takes a lot of energy. Um, so thank you for that and, and continuing to show up in the space for the, those of us that are looking to learn from you. Thank you for the kind words and for the space to be. I appreciate you. Thank you. We'll go ahead and stop this and we'll talk to you all soon. Yes.